My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a PhD holding historian, a professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that makes legit, seriously researched American history come to life through entertaining stories. Join me for a chronological telling of the United States story, from the revolution to fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way from 1776 to the early 20th century. Listen to History That Doesn't Suck on Spotify. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Pat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. <laughs> Kat's been trying to get me to do the WAP dance for her TikTok account. Yeah, I think that would be fun. That's not going to happen because I'll break a hip. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, it would be good for you. Stretch it out a little bit. Yeah. Get those get those parts moving. Less stretched out, more dislocated, I, I think. <laughs> That's a little above my pay grade. Uh, something more comfortable for me would be like an interpretive dance number to a Gordon Lightfoot tune. <laughs> Well, I mean, I can support that, but why not like try combining the two? Combine the WAP dance, Gordon Lightfoot, with Gordon Lightfoot. Yeah. Or I could combine the WAP song with a Gordon Lightfoot song. I could do that. Yeah, whatever. The only instrument I have close by though is my ukulele, that was made for us. I think it's the nice. best instrument. So you want me to do? So let me just get this straight. You want me to do Cardi? I just B. want you to integrate Gordon Lightfoot and. Wet ass pussy. <laughs> On the ukulele. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I need from you now. <clears throat> well, I'm a certified freak seven days a week. Well, that wet ass and pussy make the pullout game weak. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, there's whores in the house. There are whores in the house. Apparently there are whores in the house, sweetie. Oh. oh, oh, that'll win an award. Well, that's wonderful. Thank you. You're welcome. Now you've just got to get to stretching so you can do the <laughs> dance for me. <laughs> I'll practice while you tell me a story. How's that? Okay. <clears throat> in 1987, Anne Pedway announced to friends and family that she was pregnant. Everyone assumed that the father was the boyfriend that she'd been with on and off for some time, Robert. And she first introduced her baby, Nezdra Nance, to her family after she came back from a short absence. The family didn't know where she'd been, but they thought that she was just going through some emotions and needed to be alone at that time. So they didn't really question it. Nezdra used the nickname Nettie. 
and grew up in Bridgeport, Connecticut, where her mother had grown up and went to the same high school where her mother went. We drove by that high school. On our way to the live show. That's right. At the historic Bijou Theater. That's correct. Anne struggled with drug addiction through Nettie's childhood. And Nettie told the New York Post that there was always drugs and sometimes weapons around the house. Mm. Uh, But she reported abuse, but passed it off as normal, which oftentimes will happen. That's the case in, in many situations. Nettie described her mom as remote, never cruel, but not exactly tender either. And for most of her childhood, Nettie lived during the week with Anne's mother, Mary, so that she could go to a better school. When Nettie was 10, Anne had another baby named Trevin. Nettie said that she never felt like she fit in with her family. Anne was dark-skinned, and Nettie was very light-skinned. Everybody called Nettie Little Anne, but she never saw their resemblance. She said she just had this feeling that she felt different from the people raising her. Hmm. This is according to the Associated Press. When Nettie was unable to get a driver's license because her mother couldn't produce a birth certificate or a Social Security card, she became suspicious. When Nettie became pregnant and needed those things social security card and birth certificate to apply for assistance, it was again brushed off and Nettie got tired of waiting. So she searched through Anne's things and found a document with her name and birth date on it and brought it to the Bureau of Vital Statistics in New Haven. The clerk said that with that document, she still couldn't find records. And um, she implied that if Nettie was trying to use false identification, she could be arrested. Oh, man. So Nettie got kind of pissed off. I would. Is she alien spawn? She's alien spawn, isn't (laughs) she? She's not alien spawn. Not long after that incident, according to New York Magazine, the Department of Children and Families called the house for Nettie's mother. Nettie was not privy to what Anne and this person talked about. She thought maybe it was about the paperwork and that she wasn't able to get proper ID. But several days later, before leaving for work, Anne told Nettie that she wanted to talk when she came home from work, which I never understand doing. Hey, I'm going to need to talk to you in about nine hours. (laughs) What? No. You tell me now. What are you doing? I hate when that happens. (laughs) Or how about when your boss pops his head in the office? And hey, before you leave for the day? Yeah. 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 Fuck a bunch of that. Mm-hmm. That night, Anne came into Nettie's room and started crying. Nettie said that she had never seen her mom cry. And she was a little freaked out by it. And she said, okay, why are you crying? And Anne told her, your mom left you and she never came back. Hmm. So Nettie was a senior in high school and learned that her family was not actually her family. That's a real mind twist. For sure. Nettie kept asking Anne about details. Uh, Who was her mom? When did she leave her? Did she say why? All of these questions were left unanswered. A few years went by and things just were not sitting right. Nettie wasn't able to get answers to the questions that she needed. And at age 23, she decided she needed to take matters into her own hands. So she began searching the Internet, the beautiful, precious Internet (laughs) that has brought us so much. Oh, yeah. She began looking at websites for missing children. 
including the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Searching for her birth year, she spotted a photo of a baby along with a composite sketch of how the child would look at age 19. Oh, no. This composite sketch was made by Steve Lofton, and he said that he used a photo of the mother of the missing child and the sister of the missing child as they shared characteristics. Nettie said that the photos looked eerily similar to baby photos of her and her newborn daughter. Oh, my. So Nettie called the hotline. And that's when she started to learn the story of Joy White and Carl Tyson. In July 1987, Joy White and Carl Tyson went to a Harlem hospital with their 19-day-old baby, Carlina White. Joy was only 16 at the time, and they were very young, but when Joy discovered she was pregnant, the couple wanted to stay together. They were very happy when they had a healthy eight-pound baby girl. Carl was driving truck and working at a parking garage. Joy was still in high school, but Joy kept the baby at home and Carl would come over after work to visit. Baby Carlina had swallowed some fluid and she ended up getting an infection. So when she had a fever of 104 degrees on August 4th, 1987, uh, her parents took her right to the hospital. Doctors said that she needed to stay overnight for observation, and the couple was going to stay with her, but they needed to go home and pick up a few things. Before they left, Carl looked for a phone to call their moms and let them know what was going on. And when he returned to get Joy to leave, Joy was talking with a woman in a nurse's uniform, uh, apparently being comforted, and the woman said, "'The baby don't cry for you. You cry for the baby.'" Carl thought that was a really weird thing to say, like a very strange way to console a young mother. Uh, yeah. Basically saying, like, the baby's fine. You're the one who needs to stop freaking out. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like 12.30 a.m., and they left the hospital together. Carl dropped Joy off at her mother's apartment, and he went back to his place. He ended up falling asleep. They got a call early that morning that their baby was gone. The hospital discovered that Carlina was gone at 3.40 a.m. Whoever had taken this baby unhooked the IV tubes oh, man. and left the floor without being seen. Holy. First of all, stealing a baby, uh, that's bad form. But when you unhook the baby from an IV to steal it, yeah, that is, um, well, there's a special place in hell for you. Nurses said that they were checking in on the baby every five to ten minutes. So apparently, inside job, someone knew this schedule and was keeping track of the schedule. Did Anne work there? Weaseled in. <laughs> Anne did not work there, but for a time, police thought they had a suspect, uh, a woman named Lucy Brockington. She was wanted for car theft and had a similar description to the nurse that was comforting oh. Joy before. Joy and Carl left the hospital. Detectives tracked her down in Baltimore, and she had an alibi. So after that, there was nothing. No sign of the woman dressed in a nurse's uniform or the baby. Carlina was gone. So back to 2010. Just after Christmas, the Center for Missing and Exploited Children reached out to Joy and Carl. Joy was at work when the center emailed her photos of Nettie. Joy and Carl both screamed oh my God. 
adamant this is their daughter. The center contacted the NYPD's missing persons unit, and police took DNA swabs from all three. 23 years their child had been missing. 23 years. Holy crap. Now, a lot goes on when you lose a baby in this way. Joy and Carl had long since broken up, but they were united in this front. Sure. They were they were going to be together to figure out if this woman, this adult woman, was their missing baby. The results weren't back yet, but Joy decided to call Nettie. On the phone, Joy mentioned a birthmark that Carlina had. Nettie was overwhelmed. She said, wow, I know this is real now. She had that birthmark. Oh, my God. So in January of 2011, again, before DNA results came back, Nettie went to visit this new family in New York. It was overwhelming for everyone, obviously. As you can imagine, everyone in the family wanted to be there, wanted to be a part of welcoming her in. Joy just wanted to, like, you know, smush this baby. Like, just, you don't ever want to let that go. Nettie was so excited, but quickly became very overwhelmed because, one, there was a lot of media attention at the time. Newspapers wanted to speak to her, uh, wanted photos of the family hugging, wanted to, you know, get interactions that maybe they weren't comfortable with at the time. It was a lot. Where was Anne all of this time? Mm, We're getting there. Okay. So, of course, everyone's happy to be reunited, but Nettie is overwhelmed, or Carlina is overwhelmed, and after a few days uh, decides to head home. While she is boarding a plane with her child to head home, while she's on her way home, Carlina gets a phone call, DNA profiling confirmed that she is, in fact, God. Joy and Carl's daughter. So does she She just changes her name to Carlina, or does, does she keep Nettie, or does she combine the two, in, <laughs> There's a, like Nettelina? A lot to think about. By anyone's estimation, no child in American history has ever been missing for longer and been reunited with their parents. Wow. So this is, meanwhile, Anne Petway turned herself into the FBI office at Bridgeport January 23rd. So they didn't have to go get her. They didn't have to go get her. She told federal investigators that she kidnapped Carlina after enduring several miscarriages because of the stress over whether or not she would be able Mm. to become a parent. She decided this was the way to go. (laughs) But it was unclear if she was the one who actually was in the hospital. Ooh, accomplice. I can't find anything that determines whether or not she was actually the person in the hospital. No kidding. And and she didn't say in her confession. Wow, that's weird. Sounds like she's covering up for someone. February 17, 2011, a federal grand jury indicted her on kidnapping charges. February 10, 2012, she pleaded guilty to federal kidnapping charge. On July 30, 2012, she's sentenced to 12 years in prison. She's now 50 years old and is serving her sentence in the Federal Correctional Institution in Alabama. For a period of time, Nettie was prepared to speak on behalf of Anne at the trial. 
she was going to stand by her kidnapper Mm. because that's the family that she knew. Again, what a mind twist. Absolutely. It's terrifying. This is the person that I've known as my mother my entire life. Mm -hmm. She has uh, provided for me. I survived. I'm a healthy 23-year-old kidnapping victim. Yeah. Wow. So uh, she did eventually uh, decide that she would not testify for Anne. Oh, wow. That must have been tough. Absolutely. However, there was a falling out with her biological parents. There was some misunderstanding about there was a trust in her name Mm -hmm. uh, for in the event that she was found before the age of 21. But she was 23 now. And so that money was not there anymore. And there was a reward for finding her. But does she get that reward if she found herself? Mm. And there was some back and forth about that. There was some bitterness involved. I guess eventually it came out that it was a misunderstanding about the money. But Nettie was so overwhelmed with the entire process. She just didn't know how to proceed. Do you go in with the pretense that this is your family? Or do you go in and just meet these people and get to know them? Do you mm. call them mom and dad? Do you, yeah. what, how, how even, how? And that doesn't even take into consideration how do you react to your supposed mother, you know? Yeah. And she's in jail. She took care of me. I have a better, longer anyway, relationship with this woman but she never felt quite right with her like that's what started this whole thing is that she just didn't feel like she belonged so basically her whole life is blown up it's insane wow and it's i can't imagine it not being a stressful situation where where if this story said everything went smoothly after that i would have been like oh that's some bullshit Mm -hmm. that is not accurate yeah because you cannot that's there's too many emotions tied in now to answer your question uh nezdra was her name given by anne carlina was her name given by joy but she decided that since when she was uh in school she started calling herself nettie that she would keep the name nettie because I, that's it, a good choice. It was her name that she she decided upon. In reading articles from the early stages of their reuniting, you can tell that everyone's super optimistic about this new family being found. Everything's like super jazzy, right? And then when you get into like 2012, 2013, there's a lot of discussion in the articles about their having fallen out. Um, There's confusion about the money, if that's really a a relevant topic even and then in more recent articles it's back to she's building a relationship with these people really everyone's kind of settled down now that the media is not so much a part of it (laughs) it's a lot easier to have a relationship because you're not being forced into these um, photo ops photo ops and predetermined dynamics of family because everybody wants you to immediately fall in love right they want with... you to con air that whole thing like <laughs> where you just run to each other and daddy and it's like okay that girl does not know that man because mm. he's been in jail yeah and it doesn't matter if he has a little bunny for her or not it's still creepy anyway everyone seems to be doing really well now that's the last i knew of it that's the last i want to know of it. <laughs> yeah let's end on that <laughs> um yeah as far as we know everything's going okay going great yay 
But yeah, the uh, the longest period of time a child has been uh, missing from her parents and reunited with her parents. Uh, that is the story of Carlina White. That's amazing. It really is. At what point, as parents of a missing child, do you just go, probably not coming home? Yeah. No, you can't. I don't know. I don't know. There's a young lady who went missing in our home state uh, in a town called Jay. And she went missing in 86. Mm. And as a person in my early 20s driving around Jay, I would see signs put up on telephone poles. 20 years. With her with her picture no on there. No kidding. Wow. And I just I would just weep. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's impossible to imagine that the the pain of that experience and then the the long-term sorrow that's involved in I guess I'm going to print out some more of these flyers mm-hmm. and must be a pilgrimage of sorts. It's it's got to be, and it must provide some sort of therapeutic benefit. I would imagine in order to do that. My thought immediately goes to the very first night that you're not able to tuck your kid in. How do you go to sleep? How do you sleep? It's the first night, and they're not here. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. God bless them. I mean, I've thought about that with, you know, dogs. <laughs> you know, yeah. do yeah. I do I just stay do Right. Is am I doing any what do you even do? What do you yeah. do I just die on the side of the road? Probably. <laughs> because I don't know what to do. And now that thing in the middle. Today's thing in the middle comes from the Freaks group on Facebook. Valerie posted, You hear a knock at your front door. You go to it and open it, and you find yourself staring at yourself. What do you do? That is a great question. <laughs> Tons of responses. Number five, Jeff says, I'd ask, what you got for me? (laughs) Number four, Denise says, close the damn door. Number three, C. Nicole says, when are you? That's a great question. (laughs) That is a great question. Number two, Persephone writes, kill that bitch because obviously she's here to stir up some ruckus. Come at me, ho! And number one, Mark says, tell myself not to forget the house key next time. That's a great point. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting in reading through these comments, most of them assume that the person is a time traveler from the future. Right. Like, give me the lotto numbers, that kind of thing. I didn't consider that at all. My response was just a a gif of someone given sexy eyes. Yeah. 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 I mean. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. 
when I was a kid, I had expected chores and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our Aura Frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the Aura Frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life... Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout and you will save thanks aura frames for bringing my family a little bit closer want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money well i've got the podcast for you i'm sean piles and i host nerd wallets smart money podcast on our show we help listeners like you make the most of your finances i sit down with nerd wallets team of nerds personal finance experts in credit cards banking investing and more We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Do you know what the curator has in common with a serial killer? Damned right you don't. This is The Box of Oddities. Maria sent us an email, curator at theboxofoddities.com. Dear Kat and Jethro, my daughter had to come home this spring from college due to the pandemic because she had not intended to return after she moved out last fall. My husband and I turned her bedroom into a bar, which is exactly the right thing to do, Maria. (laughs) 
So when she came home, we had to push some things around, um, move stuff to the spare room that we had piled all extra stuff in. We moved things around and made her some space to reside until she could return to school this fall. One night, we were visiting about how sometimes the house makes strange noises like footsteps and music when no one else is home. The house was built in our little town in southeastern Montana in 1983, so who knows why this occurs. She then asked if we had any little kids' toys left because in the middle of the night, she would hear specifically, and then she spells out the uh, the opening to The Lion King. Hi, oh, yeah. Not seen then, yeah, however it's done. Um, I told her the kids' toys have been passed along or donated, so the noise couldn't be from that. Mm -hmm. I had never heard the noise myself in the middle of the night. And as we were commenting on how strange it was a ghost would use that noise, my husband began to laugh and say, I know what it is. And they figured out it wasn't like a Lion King ghost. Oh. Yeah. It occurred to him that in the spare room, he had a collection of Monopoly games stacked on the dresser, including the Lion King version. Something was resting on the button that played the intro. When it was pressed, I suppose it was balanced just enough to randomly play the noise. Oh my gosh, that has happened to us. I mean, not with the Lion King, and we didn't think we were being haunted, but something similar. Yeah, what was that? It was catchphrase. In, yes. Boop. Yeah, it sounded like a bomb was, there, go, was ready to go off. Are in our... we being sabotaged? <laughs> what is happening? We had a big laugh and that helped fix the problem. Um, but we still hear other noises we can't explain. Stay safe and keep your ghostly senses of humor, Maria. Thanks, Maria. I love it. Today, I'm going to talk about the mysterious Dogen tribe. According to Wikipedia, the Dogen are an ethnic group indigenous to the central plateau region of Mali in West Africa. The population numbers between 400 and 800,000 people. They speak the Dogon languages, which are considered to uh, be a combination. It's kind of an independent branch of the Niger-Congo language family, meaning that uh, they are not closely related to any other language. Oh, wow. It's kind of a unique thing. That's really interesting. The Dogen are best known for their religious traditions, their mask dances, wooden sculptures, their architecture as well. Since the 20th century, there have been significant changes in their social organizations, material culture and beliefs of the Dogen, in part because Dogen country is one of Mali's major tourist attractions. Now, the Dogen have some very interesting rituals and beliefs. For example, in Dogen thought, both boys and girls are born with both sexual components. The clitoris is considered male, while the foreskin is considered female. Originally for the Dogen, man was endowed with a dual soul. Circumcision is believed to eliminate the superfluous one. Rites of circum uh, circumcision enable each sex to assume its proper physical identity. How do you, how do you decide, though? I guess it's up to the individual. I'm not sure. But boys are circumcised in age groups of three years. Oof. I know like this is a, a very uh, hot button topic, but uh, I, I don't understand cutting bits off your babies. Yeah. No. <laughs> okay. All right. I, I can't. Yeah. I just don't get it. Well, as an example, they would circumcise all the boys between nine and 12, a three year period. This marks the end of their youth and they are initiated into manhood. Who performs the circumcision? Well, the village blacksmith does. That makes sense. Yeah, let me just finish hammering out some iron here. 
okay, sword's cool. Where are my snips? Afterward, the boys uh, stay for a few days in a hut until they heal. Sure. Um, Circumcision is celebrated, and the initiated boys go around and receive presents. I think they deserve them. They make music on special instruments that are made out of uh, reeds and wood. No, no. (laughs) I just picture like, you know how you take a blade of grass and blow it between your thumbs? (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to play old Susanna. And then the newly circumcised youth, who are now considered men, walk around naked for a month after the procedure so that everybody can see their achievement. Okay. um, And be admired by the tribe. And this happens no matter what time of year, even in the colder winter months. Oh, wow. Not only do they cut your hoo-ha, you gotta parade around naked in the winter for a month. Wow. The Dogen also are among several African ethnic groups that practice female genital mutilation. Well, that's terrible. We, yeah. And we but we've already discovered that they practice genital mutilation just with boys. Yes. So, well, uh, yeah, right. apparently it goes both ways. Yeah, it's terrible. But this story isn't about genital mutilation. Is it about how gender is a social construct? No. Oh, okay. It's about their very strange and intriguing religious beliefs. Okay. The Dogen people claim to have a special connection to the star that we call Sirius. Their ancient traditions state that the star has two companion stars. One of the companion stars, according to their um, legends, circles Sirius, Sirius every 50 years. It's very dense and extremely heavy. And the thing is, these legends are thousands of years old. Wow. But they're absolutely scientifically correct. That's amazing. We didn't even discover Sirius B, that second star, until the 19th century. And they've known about it for thousands of years. Whoa. Sirius B is a white dwarf, a tiny dense leftover from a a former star. You can't even see it without a telescope. Yet they knew it was there. That's incredible. And then Sirius C, because they said there were two stars that circle Mm -hmm. Sirius, Sirius C... The second companion star has only recently been proposed in theory to explain a wobble in Sirius B's orbit. Wow. I I have a question. Yes. So, how far away is Sirius? Hey Siri, how far is the star Sirius? The distance from Earth to Sirius at 12.03 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time Saturday, September 12, 2020 is about 8.6 light years. Ooh. That's interesting that the distance, of course, changes depending upon what time it is. My question is, is it possible that in the generations since this was understood in their tribe, is it possible that light became dimmer from from Sirius? How long would it take, I mean, to get... I That's mean, an excellent point. If, it's, if it takes 8.6 years for the light to come mm-hmm. then yeah I, mean, I don't know i don't I'm, know i'm not sure i don't know but in 1995 gravitational studies did indeed show the possible presence of a brown dwarf star orbiting around sirius that would be sirius c with a six-year orbital period a more recent study using advanced infrared imaging concluded that the probability of the existence of a triple star system in sirius is low but they could not rule it out because they did not check the region within 5 AU of uh, Sirius. That had not been uh, been covered. Wow. In AU is what? Ast- astronomical unit? Yep. The Dogen have a 400-year-old statue that depicts the stars and their proposed 
orbits. Oh, wow. 400 years old. Now, it gets even weirder. Their beliefs that are thousands of years old talks about being visited by a group called the Nomos. Oh, here we go. The Nomos. (laughs) were an amphibian-like race that came from the Sirius star system in a noisy spinning arc. This is their, their, okay, their I, legend. I got you. And the noisy spinning arc caused great winds when it landed. Interestingly, other ancient people, including Babylonians, Akkadians, Sumerians, they also have similar legends of the Nomos, said to be ugly fish-like creatures. Oh, my. It's, it's very Lovecraftian, isn't very it? Very rude, also. The legend is that they came to aid mankind and allegedly spent years with this tribe teaching them the secrets of civilization. Whoa. Now, in addition to their knowledge of the triple star system of Sirius, the Dogen also appeared to know about the rings of Saturn and the moons of Jupiter. Here's a quick question. Just uh, jamming this right in here. Yeah, go. In situations like this, do you believe that it is more likely that uh, this scenario is actually a visitation by aliens or a visitation by time-traveling humans? Well, if they look like fish, my guess is it would be... Humans. Humans. No, aliens. I don't know. We might end up looking like fish. We might evolve. Who knows? Yeah, go back into the water from whence we came. Right. Too much smog in this air. Got to get back into the water. Author Robert Temple, who wrote The Serious Mystery, suggests that these visitors may have initially come to visit the Egyptians and the Babylonians because they had a relatively sophisticated um, civilization system in place at the time. Mm -hmm. But then they just stopped by the Dogans to say hi. Oh, yeah. Needed to get some snacks or something. Sure. Now, surprisingly, there are skeptics. Uh Oh? Yes. One being Carl Sagan. He suggested that vagabond traders and missionaries might have told the Dogans about Sirius B and Sirius C. Um, And this was folded into their their mythology. Mm -hmm. And I love Carl Sagan. I know. But the simpler explanation really is that the Dogan already knew. I'm not saying it was aliens, but I'm saying it was aliens. (laughs) The simpler explanation is a swirly arc. The more complicated scenario is that uh, mystery traders who there are no records of, either Dogen or European, told the Dogen about Sirius B, which didn't exist, at least we didn't know about it until the 19th century, and Sirius C, which hadn't been discovered until the 90s, and left no trace of their visit whatsoever. Not to mention that there were thousands of Dogen statues, blankets, and other objects and artifacts depicting the Sirius ABC family. Another skeptical account came from a 1991 article in Current Anthropology. Anthropologist Wouter von Beek concluded after his research among the Dogen that, quote, though they speak about Sirius, they disagree completely with each other as to which star is meant. For some, it's an invisible star that should rise to announce a festival. Mm -hmm. And another is that it is Venus. See, this is what I'm saying, is that uh, sometimes when people are trying to find common ground, they assume that people are speaking of the same thing that we're speaking of. And if they aren't using 
the the terminology, uh, serious A, B, and C. They could just be talking about something else, and someone goes, "See, they know all about this." And it, I mean, we we just assign understanding to things sometimes because we want to share that understanding. But it's probably aliens. <laughs> There's a book called The Serious Mystery I mentioned um, uh, briefly a moment ago. It's by mm-hmm. Robert K.G. Temple, and it kind of sums up the theory. Okay. Wikipedia says this. His hypothesis is that the Dogen people preserve a tradition of contact with intelligent extraterrestrial beings from the Sirius star system. These beings, who are hypothesized to have taught the arts of civilization to humans, are claimed in the book to have organized the systems of the pharaohs of Egypt, the mythology of Greek civilization, and the uh, Epic of Gilgamesh, among other things. Temple's theory is heavily based on his interpretation of the work of ethnographers Marcel Griol and Germain Dieterlin. A substantial bulk of the serious mystery consists of comparative linguistic and mythology scholarship pointing out resemblances among the Dogen tribe Egyptian and Sumerian beliefs and symbols. See, that I think is crazy interesting. That's that's really a very, very interesting point. The mystery, quotations, that is central to the book is how the Dogen allegedly acquired knowledge of Sirius B, the white dwarf companion star of Sirius A, invisible to the naked eye. Temple did not argue that the only way the Dogen could have obtained what he understood to be accurate information on Sirius B was by contact with an advanced civilization. He considered alternative possibilities, such as a very ancient people, advanced and lost civilizations mm. that were perhaps behind the sudden appearance of advanced civilizations in both Egypt and Sumeria. He personally found the theory of alien contact to be more convincing, but he did not claim certainty about it. In his book, Serious Matters, another author, Noah Broche, said that cultural transfer could have taken place between the 19th century French astronomers and Dogen tribe members and the observations of the solar eclipse, which happened on April 16th in uh, 1893, which is pretty much what Carl Sagan was saying. But again, it doesn't explain the statues and the blankets and, you know, all of the old artifacts that depict pretty accurately the Sirius star system and the movement thereof. So certainly there's a great deal of skepticism surrounding the alien theory. Um, I like the ancient civilization hypothesis. Mm-hmm. I think that, that uh, that's that's realistic. You know, I want it to be aliens, but sure. maybe not giant fish aliens. I think a lot of times in your brain, you kind of link ancient civilizations with aliens anyway. Well, so I'm not I stupid. Feel- <laughs> I mean, come on. What I think is really interesting, and we were talking about this a while ago, is um, that there are some parts of the world that are higher elevations where you'll find commonalities. Yeah. um, And that might be a result of, you know, when the water levels were higher, uh, that's where aliens would stop by. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're talking about uh, the domestication of wheat. Um, and, and, well, and I'm edi- not, edible, but that's fine. edible grains. Well, we had talked about this not long ago <laughs> about how. Um, I'm talking all- about pyramids, boo. Okay, well, that too. Yeah, certainly <laughs> pyramids. But modern day wheat evolved from a specific strain that only grew at high altitudes and only in certain areas like Machu Picchu and in the Himalayas. So across the world, these high peaks, which in theory from a giant flood may have been 
the only land masses. Mm-hmm. Why did the wheat only grow in a higher altitude and then migrated down to more reasonable growing conditions? That's because Atlantis. <laughs> the end. The end. Or aliens. I love it. That's really fascinating. Also fascinating is uh, unicefusa.org, which is where you can make donations to help stop female genital mutilation. Most of my information came from Wikipedia, Cool Interesting Stuff, and National Geographic. I'm a certified freak seven days a week. (laughs) Meanwhile, I've been working on my uh, WAP as Shakira Oh, yeah? Yeah. How's that going? Got a bucket and a mop that's somewhere. Yeah, that's pretty good. Thank you. Yeah. Do you know Shakira is like an actual genius? Like She's Mensa? She's a member of Mensa. Mensa. I'd heard that. Yeah. yeah that's I, crazy. I think, if I remember correctly, she speaks like an insane number of languages and is incredibly well-versed in all the smarties. Why does that surprise us? Is it because we assume all performers are stupid? I I think, yeah. I mean, also, she's like super hot. So mm, you can't I think, have everything. I think it's unfair. And, <laughs> yes. and our brains go like, oh, no, you can't have all of that. So, Shakira, if you don't mind, ugly yourself up a little bit. Right. <laughs> or quit Mensa. One or the other, you can't have both. All right, freaks. We love you. Stay safe. We look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. And fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you. To provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2020, all rights reserved. Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring well look no further and join me katie charlwood your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books as i delve into unsolved historical mysteries murders by gaslight and of course women who have been misrepresented through all time on who did what now the history podcast that's not your history class listen wherever you get your podcasts